From WAMU 88.5 at American University in Washington, welcome to the Kojo Nam, the show connecting your neighborhood with the world. It's Tech Tuesday. Most of us know all too well that our online searches are used to feed us advertising, but we may be less aware of the kind of detailed, sensitive information about ourselves we may be putting out there just by searching. Type in a health concern or a financial question, and you're unwittingly building a profile that includes your most personal information. And increasingly, that profile is being sold and resold to data brokers and marketing firms, and where it ends up is far from transparent. Payday loans and for-profit colleges are among those who use this information, sometimes to target the most vulnerable. And while federal agencies and consumer advocates are trying to address the abuse, a lack of transparency makes it all an uphill battle. Joining us to talk about this is Aaron Rieke. He is a projects director at Upturn. That's a technology policy consulting group based here in Washington. Aaron Rieke, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Ed Marzwinski. He is the Consumer Program Director at USPIRG, the Consumer Advocacy Group. Ed Marzwinski, thank you for joining thank us. Thank you, Gojo. And Alvaro Bedoya is the Founding Executive Director of the Center on Privacy and Technology at Georgetown Law. Alvaro, thank you for joining us. Good to be here. Joining us by phone is Adrienne LaFrance. Adrienne LaFrance is a staff writer at The Atlantic where she covers technology. Adrienne, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Aaron, can you walk us through the basics? Many of us may not know what a lead generator is, but when we search online, we've certainly been the subject of the process. So what is a lead generator? A lead generator is just a company who's in the business of selling information about people. So instead of selling a product or a service, they're going to sell information about you, Kojo, perhaps. And if you imagine that um, Ed and I started up a gardening business, but we had trouble finding customers, we might go to a lead generator to sell us lists of people that might be interested in shovels or dirt or whatever products we're selling. So when you hear lead generator, just think a company that's selling data about people. Yes, in another life, I used to be an insurance agent, and we were always looking for leads. Yes, absolutely. Now we have lead generators. Ed, your concern is that this kind of marketing marketing is not transparent. How so? Well, I think the problem with the entire ubiquitous uh, data collection system on the Internet, of which lead generators are a big and growing part, uh, is that consumers aren't aware that the business model works the way it does. They think they're just clicking around the Internet. They don't realize that their information is being collected and it is being attached to other information in real time that they're collecting from other sources and then being used perhaps to create a score to decide how good a customer you might be and then selling you. That's really it in a nutshell. Alvaro, you say things have changed dramatically even in the past decade or so. How so? Sure. Well, Previously, our financial, uh, it was less easy to target us, Kojo. Um, one thing that's just come out as a result of uh, Aaron's study, actually, is that payday lenders and advertisers for payday loans, those lead generators, are using online search ads to target vulnerable people even where state law 
prohibits it. Let me explain what I mean, and this is all revealed by Aaron's study. Um, if you're listening at home and you're close to a computer, you can go to Google or Bing and type in the words, I need money for groceries. And if you live in the District of Columbia, as I do, I would strongly suspect that the first ads you're going to see are going to be for payday loans charging interest rates of 261 to 1,304%. To put that in context, Al Capone charged 250% APR. <laughs> and so what these payday lead generators are doing are targeting people at their most vulnerable with a financial product that will ruin them. But, of course... There's a perfectly legitimate aspect to this, as Aaron pointed out. If we're looking to buy a lawnmower, we want to find companies selling them, don't we? Certainly, but what we're seeing, thanks to Aaron's report, turns a basic proposition of the Internet on its head. It's 2015. You, Kojo, are used to going online looking for the lawnmower, and you're used to it following you, and so you're used to this tracking helping you because it's showing you ads for things you're interested in or things you like. This study shows that we're also being tracked for our vulnerabilities, and we don't expect that. We don't expect that Internet companies who know that we're struggling are going to use this information to sell us payday loans that are going to ruin us. And that's why companies like Google and Microsoft need to take a principled stand and ban these loans. It's a Tech Tuesday conversation on lead generation, online ads, privacy, and predatory marketing. If you have questions... Or comments, do you know what's happening behind the scenes when you're searching online? Give us a call, 800-433-8850. You can send email to kojo.wamu.org. Shoot us a tweet at Kojo Show using the hashtag TechTuesday or go to our website, kojoshow.org. Ask a question or make a comment there. Aaron, your organization wanted to look at some of the privacy concerns around technology, specifically related to payday lending. What did you find? So what we found, what we were curious, we knew that um, lots of states have banned payday lending. Um, And we had been hearing reports that lots of people were getting connected with very harmful loans on the Internet. And so our question was, how are people finding these loans online? And like Alvaro said... If you go to Google or Bing or another major search engine and you type in, I need money to pay for groceries or I need money to pay for rent, what you're going to see around your search results are lots and lots of different advertisements um, for parties that promise that you'll have $500 in your bank account tomorrow. Just click here um, and we'll get you connected with that. And the first interesting thing is that these ads are not being shown by lenders. They're being shown by the lead generators that we've already defined. Um, And if you click on one of those ads and take a step away from Google, you're going to end up on a web page that's going to ask you to enter lots and lots of information about yourself. Um, And once you do that, then you're down a rabbit hole (laughs) because these websites make absolutely no promise as to what they're going to do with your information. Um, So that's kind of like falling off a cliff at that point. Adrian, you recently wrote two pieces in The Atlantic about the payday lending issue that Aaron is talking about. You think of this as companies putting together data data profiles of you. Can you talk about that? Sure. So, I mean, any activity that you're doing online is contributing to uh, a large and growing data profile of you as an individual that becomes shared and traded and bought and sold online among third parties that, that you know, the individual has no way of, of tracking. You have no way of seeing what your data profile says. 
and <clears throat> excuse me, and this is becoming ever more sophisticated so that uh, advertisers and other companies are able to target individuals on very specific levels, and individuals have little or really virtually no recourse in the United States at least uh, to be able to to react or respond or, or control what they're being targeted with. However, many of us know that if we share personal information online, if we fill out forms with our home address, put in our social security number with a company that we know nothing about, that could be a bad idea. We likely put a whole lot of very private queries into our search engines, perhaps without even realizing it. What are some broader privacy issues, say, around health? Sure. The broader privacy issues are that companies are starting to track us by our weaknesses. So... About two years' worth of investigations by the Federal Trade Commission, by the Senate Commerce Committee, by the General Accountability Office have all shown, Kojo, that increasingly there are literally lists of people who have diabetes by name, address, sensitive personal information, lists of people who have Parkinson's, lists of people who have Alzheimer's. And uh, it's not just that kind of sensitive health information. It's also people who are uh, victims of sexual assault, people who are HIV positive. Um, And it's also people who are financially uh, struggling. And so these pools of data are being created about us by data brokers. And unfortunately, Congress has been unable to pass any legislation to regulate that. Uh, In my opinion, it's due to strong lobbying that they're facing from a lot of these data brokers. 800-433-8850. Have you ever searched a sensitive topic like your health, your financial status, and had marketers target you? Give us a call, 800-433-8850. Adrian LaFrance, and something a lot of people may not realize, our social media activity is also helping to fill out these profiles. Right, and, and that's a really important point because uh, the, the data that's being collected about individuals is not just among those who are inputting sensitive information in forms online. That's one part of the problem, but virtually any activity of yours online from searching um, to tweeting to posting Facebook statuses, all of that can contribute to this data profile that that is being bought and sold about you online. So, for example, I talked to one company um, who who described being able to find eight unique data points about a person from a single tweet. So that could be something where maybe you tweet something like, I went to Whole Foods after work. And just from that, they know now that you went to Whole Foods to shop. So that puts you in a certain, possibly puts you in a certain socioeconomic bracket. It might target you as someone who's in a urban area, for example, if you're walking to the grocery store. And it might show that you're employed because you referenced work. Ed, and while much of the payday loan industry is in its view, helping some people. A lot of other people say, at best, it's taking advantage of people in financial distress. At its worst, it's beyond that. What kind of abuse is taking place? Well, the payday lending industry has been under investigation and under attack by states and state regulators and now the uh, Federal Consumer Financial Protection Bureau as well because it's a debt trap. They don't make money. If I go and I take one payday loan out a year, they would all go out of business if that was the average customer. The average customer renews eight or nine payday loans, has multiple payday loans, owes $300, pays back $20 every two weeks, ends up paying $900 in interest and finance charges, never pays down the principal, 
but it's been a game of whack-a-mole, and that's why we've been pointing out that. So the district has banned high-cost payday lending, but now there are no stores across the street here, but now they're sneaking in online. Alvaro. So payday loans hurt people, but I think it's really important for people to realize that they don't hurt everyone equally. They disproportionately hurt low-income people and African-Americans. And you might expect the low-income piece of that, but even if you look at the numbers, even after controlling for income, African-Americans are twice as likely than people of other races and ethnicities to take out these loans. And so payday loans aren't just a financial issue. They're a civil rights issue. And that's why the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights has made ending these loans a priority uh, for communities of color. We'll talk more about that some more. In the meantime, we're getting a lot of questions along these lines. An email from B in Silver Spring who says, how can we use the Internet without being tracked? Most we or even can we, must we or even can we pay for private searching? Is there a free app or search engine that protects us? Um, We got an email from PS. Is there software available to block data collection by search engines? Do you know, Aaron? Um, So there are a lot of different search engines on the Internet that have different privacy policies. Um, For example, DuckDuckGo is a a search engine that's been very popular for taking a very strong privacy-protective stance. Um, There are other services where those choices aren't available. And, for example, if you want to be connected with your friends and family on Facebook, there's a certain extent to which you just accept those terms or you don't use the service. Um, So the answer is yes for search engines, um, not so much for social networks as far as I know. On to Mark in Baltimore, Maryland. Mark, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. I have a question about uh, how do we inform people, the users of these operating systems or these, these computers and these phones? of their level of of privacy and and how uh, the company behind them may or may not be collecting that information and be these uh, information brokers that you guys are talking about. Well, that depends on who you're dealing with. Later in the broadcast, we'll talk about a situation that Sprint found itself in as a result of what we're talking about here. So thank you very much for your call. Anyone care to respond immediately? Here's Alvaro. Sure. Another product uh, you can look at is called Privacy Badger. This is what I use. It's uh, produced by a nonprofit out of California, Electronic Frontier Foundation. And it's a little plug-in in your browser, and it will tell you wherever you go where your information is transmitted, and it gives you the ability to block a good deal of that. Sometimes when you block it, the website stops working, uh, and that'll tell you a little something about the website. But most of the time, I find, find it um, tells me who's watching, basically, and lets me control that. Thank you very much for your call, Mark. We've got to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue this Tech Tuesday conversation on lead generation, online ads, privacy, and predatory marketing. Call us, 800-433-8850. Email us at org. Have you ever been disturbed by the targeted ads that follow you online? You can also send us a tweet at Kojo Show. I'm Kojo Nandi. It's Diane. The next meeting of my book club is on Wednesday, May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan. 
followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianereem.org slash book club. It's Tech Tuesday. We're talking about online ads, privacy, and predatory marketing, all of which participate in generating leads, lead generation. We're talking with Adrienne LaFrance. She's a staff writer at The Atlantic, where she covers technology. She joins us by phone. Joining us in our studio is Aaron Rickey. He is a projects director for Upturn. That's a technology policy consulting group based here in Washington. Alvaro Bedoya is the founding executive director of the Center on Privacy and Technology at Georgetown Law. And Ed Zwinski is the Consumer Program Director at U.S. Perg, the Consumer Advocacy Group. Ed, we talked about payday lenders. While lenders, while they may be perfectly legitimate companies doing business this way, there are companies that are simply de- de- deceptive, payday lenders being one. Who else? Talk about for-profit colleges. They seem to fall into this category as well. Well, for-profit colleges are another target for government action, and a number of states and the Federal Department of Education and CFPB have investigated the for-profit college business because they essentially make promises that aren't true, charge you enormous uh, tuition fees to go to school, and they end up you don't have a job opportunity after you graduate, if you graduate. You weren't trained very well. The schools are a real problem, particularly, as Elvaro pointed out, for lower-income consumers, also for veterans and service members. They use lead generation to identify and find students that they can aggressively market to. And the way lead generation works, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a digital operation, but once they've collected information about you, they'll then bombard you with telephone calls and old-school letter writing and other kinds of marketing uh, to try to get you signed up very quickly. But aren't most of us familiar enough with ads, and especially those that promise, oh, cash immediately or for people with bad credit or no credit? Don't we have to be savvy consumers and know that a promise like that is, well, likely a bad deal? The, the notion, the, the old notion uh, that if, if a deal sounds too good to be true, it probably is, still exists. But in the current economy, these companies are collecting information from many, many sources about you, and they're manipulating your decision-making, uh, and they're just encouraging you to take a bad offer. Aaron? Yeah, I think it, it is important to be savvy. And for anyone listening, uh, don't type your bank account information to almost any web page ever is the advice. However, part of the reason we're here talking about this is that, you know, the lead generation companies we're worried about here, that is those that are offering payday loans or those that are offering um, really, really expensive degrees, they're targeting people at their moments of vulnerability. These are not people that are being calm and savvy and thinking, what what strings are attached to this $500? Or is this degree program really going to help me out? And so I think that when we're looking at these, these sometimes ruinous products and services that are targeted to people right at the moment they're most vulnerable, um, that deserves some extra attention. And I've already talked about the issues, some of the issues among vulnerable populations. The other thing to know, Kojo, is that society in many places, like here in the district, has spoken and has passed laws to ban these financial products like payday loans. And payday advertisers are using online search to avoid state law and still lend to people in places where it's illegal. Now, I also think it's very important to point out that, at least as payday loans are concerned, not all companies are alike. Facebook has actually taken a principled stand and said, no, we will not, and and right now will never serve an ad for a payday loan. 
Google and Microsoft have yet to take that stand. They've taken it for things like cigarettes, even candy cigarettes. You can't advertise for candy cigarettes on Google. If they can do that, uh, we think that I think they should take a principled stand and not advertise for these products. Well, here is Tina in Silver Spring, Maryland, who's particularly as interested in this aspect of the issue. Tina, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, Kojo. Um, my question is with regard to a comment that was made in um, part of the show when the statement was made that even controlling for income, African Americans are more likely to take out payday loans. And I just don't understand the reason. And I'm wondering if the research uh, includes any information about the reason for that. Is it that they're targeted more just because they're African American, or what? What information can you share? Um, here's Alvaro. That's an excellent question, and we don't know the full answer. But here's what we know: first of all, there are TV ads that specifically target say, this you population. You see the TV ads for payday loans, right? You see a preponderance of African Americans. That's right. In you see Montel Williams <laughs> from Money Mutual <laughs> advertising these loans to black communities. But here's another thing: I can right now, if I am uh, a payday lender or a payday loan advertiser, go and buy a list that's called. African-American payday loan responders, a list of people that me, the data broker, thinks should be targeted for a payday loan who are also African-American. And take a second to think, why on earth should you be slicing and dicing people according to their race for these financial products? And in my mind, there's no good reason. The final thing that's going on is that payday loan uh, shops are disproportionately located in black and Latino neighborhoods, but you're certainly seeing targeting uh, on TV, online, and through data brokers. You point out that Google and Microsoft have just 1% or 2% African Americans in their workforce, and that could also be influencing how they, how seriously they take this or not. These are really thoughtful companies, and uh, uh, I'm pretty sure there's going to be folks at these companies thinking about what to do about these loans. Um, but I do think we need to think about the impact of a diverse workforce on these kinds of decisions. And um, in general, I would think that a more diverse workforce is probably going to lean towards banning these ads. Um, but that said, it's not, it's, not a, uh, uh, it's not a prerequisite. Facebook, I think, has the same levels of diversity, and yet it's take, made the decision to uh, not advertise uh, for payday loans. And so hopefully uh, that's not a prerequisite, and I think Google and Microsoft should take the principal uh, stand and not advertise. Tina, thank you very much for your call. Adrian, if I'm listening to this now and thinking, well, look, I've never searched for a payday loan, and even if I were looking to, say, consolidate my student loans, I'm too smart to fall for these predatory marketing schemes. Right. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So this is part of a much bigger problem. So even if you're someone who isn't going to be targeted or you think you might not be targeted by a, a predatory lending scheme, there are all kinds of other ways in which data brokers are trying to, to collect it about or are collecting data about you and are selling them to people who want to target you in other ways. So, for instance, um, a couple of years ago, the FTC did a, a pretty big report on data brokers to try to have a, a better understanding of what these firms actually know about individuals 
And some of the things they found are, are just astounding. I mean, there is one firm that has at least one data point associated with more than 80% of all U.S. email addresses. Another firm had hundreds of millions of data points on, on property transactions, um, tens of millions of mortgage applications, property-specific data covering more than 99% of U.S. residential properties. So it, it just goes on and on. This isn't just about, about lending or about being vulnerable because you need money. This is about any way in which you're online affecting what data brokers know and sell about you. Well, we got a tweet from at Claire Garvey who writes, um, lead generators can gather and sell up to eight identifiers about a person from a single tweet. Oops, she says. <laughs> But Aaron, let's talk about the nuts and bolts and the point that Claire just made. I type something into Google or Bing or another search engine, and when I click enter, what's going on? What's happening behind the scenes? So a lot happens. Uh, you type in a search query into Google, um, and we'll just stick with the I need money to pay my groceries query. Yes. The moment you click the search button, a lot happens in that fraction of a second before your search results pop up. And what happens is Google takes your search query, They know roughly where you are geographically located. They may know roughly how, how rich or poor you are. And they go to thousands of advertisers and say, we have a search query from someone in DC who, have, who has these other properties. Who wants to show these ads? And within that about half a second, you have a real-time auction happen. And so by the time your search results appear and you see seven or eight ads, All of those advertisers have bid for you almost in real time. So that's just step one. And that's a very sophisticated behind-the-scenes process. I type in something that indicates I'm having financial issues. Mm -hmm. We've been talking. I need help paying rent. I tried this this morning. Mm -hmm. All kinds of things pop up as mm -hmm. we discussed earlier. You get $2,000, bad credit. Okay, walk us through what's happening there. So what happened there is there are, there are advertisers, and they are probably payday loan lead generators, that said, that sounds like someone that I want to show an ad to. And so you saw the ads you saw. And if you click on any of those ads and you take a, at that point, to be clear, you're taking a step away from Google, you're probably going to see what we call a landing page. And that page is going to have probably a smiling couple. Um, and there's probably going to be assurance that, oh, don't worry, everyone needs some help sometimes um, to pay their bills. Just go ahead and type in your name and your zip code and, and we'll, get, we'll get you help. So you type in your name and your zip code. And then, at th then another behind-the-scenes process happens where they go to a data brokerage company you've never heard of and gather a lot more data about you. And then before you know it, they're asking you for your bank account information. But here's the thing, Kojo, is it's probably true that no one recognizes that the page they're on is not a lender's homepage. They probably think, oh, you know, here's Montel Williams, here's Money Mutual, they're going to make me a loan, when in fact they're just giving their data to someone that will sell their data more. And they'll probably end up with a loan at the end of the day. But the question is, who else also ends up with their information? Well, Ed, when I type that search term in, I also get a number of websites offering to help me with debt relief from top 10 debt consolidation services to organizations that appear to be nonprofits offering help. But it's very hard to tell which are organizations that are actually designed to help people in debt and which are for-profit 
predatory marketers. Very difficult to tell the difference between a debt settlement company that mostly will take your money, by the way, uh, and never actually pay off your debts, and a real consumer credit counseling, for example, nonprofit. And so consumers should go to trusted websites such as the Federal Trade Commission or their state attorney general and see what debt assistance companies they are recommending. Could I point out one additional thing? The um, the point about uh, you just typed, I want a loan, I need money to pay rent, whatever, they, they're collecting information from you, but don't forget that they're also aggregating it with other information that they have. And the real difference today in the Internet from 10 years ago, it's the mobile Internet, and so a lot more information is being collected about where you are. Can this app use your location? How many times have you said, of course, I want the map app to use my location, but why does the games app need my location? Why do these apps need to know all my friends? Why do they need to know my list of contacts? These are ways they get more information, and then they put you into a cluster and they say the people in his contact list are like this, so maybe Kojo's like that too. Aaron, you say lead generators are the, I mean, Alvaro, you say lead generations are the dark underbelly of the Internet. What happens when we look under that hood? Well, it's, it's some of the uh, uh, sorted stuff we were talking about earlier, you know, um, lists of people by the their illnesses that they suffer from, um, be it diabetes or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, um, lists of individuals who are people who live in rural areas and are struggling financially. Uh, and so what we need here is a two-pronged attack. We need uh, more regulation. Uh, we need Congress to pass a law to crack down on data brokers. Uh, uh, and secondly, we need companies like Google and Microsoft, who are not data brokers, at least in the purest sense of the term, to take principled stands and voluntarily uh, uh, voluntarily restrict these ads. Here's an email we got from Elizabeth. The Social Security Administration uses Experian, a private company, to verify our identity. In order to use the Social Security services online, you have to agree to let Experian search you. And then what? is what Elizabeth would like to know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The relationship with the federal government with Experian and data brokers is, uh, pardon me, uh, and other data brokers is very interesting. Axiom. Axiom, Experian, um, because the federal government could use that buying power, and it is a substantial amount of revenue that the federal government provides to these data brokers, uh, to force them to meet certain standards. And in fact, it's done so in a few isolated instances. Um, But it's not just Social Security uses it, the Census Bureau uses it, Um, credit card companies use this for anti-fraud. And so not all data brokers, uh, not all uses of the information that data brokers hold is negative. And so what we need is a business pressure on those data brokers to stop creating lists of African-Americans who uh, might be interested in a payday loan and focus on anti-fraud and focus on uses uh, that are going to help people or the Social Security Administration or the Census Bureau. So we need industry pressure. Here is Daniel in Silver Spring, Maryland. Daniel, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Good afternoon, Kojo. And uh, this is a great topic. I would like to know what uh, if there's a cor- uh, correlation between the uh, payday loan shops and the cash uh, the cash. Checking the or check cash in places, uh, and also 
what type of consumer protection laws uh, that would uh, make sure people are fully informed before they go into these places or take uh, these loans? I'll stay on the line for a second. Adrian, in France, in many states, the solicitation of payday loans is actually illegal, but that doesn't mean they don't find ways to circumvent those laws. At the heart of this is the search engines um, themselves and their policies that allow these practices to continue, Google being the biggest. You reached out to them. Talk about what came of that, and if you can, answer Daniel's questions about whether there's a relationship between the payday loans and the check-cashing establishments. Right. Well, I'm not sure I'm the best person to answer that question, but I can tell you a little bit about how Google explained its role to me. Um, So what they said was, that uh, they're really relying on local laws in a lot of cases. So, for instance, they give the example of Vermont, where there are pretty strict laws uh, in place and where the attorney general has been communicative and offered, you know, specific lists of, like, these are the advertisers who are breaking our law, which would, in theory, allow Google to, to, you know, make sure that people in Vermont aren't seeing ads from those advertisers. However, as Erin um, can say, the, the, their research has found that that, doesn't always, that isn't always the case. So even when Google is working with a state where there are strict laws and where the law enforcement is actively working to share information, people in those states are still seeing these laws anyway. So it's hard to say how effective these policies are, even when guided by, by local laws. And you wrote that Google is playing whack-a-mole with shady advertisers. Right. So Google will be quick to tell you that they're doing, you know, doing the best they can. They removed, uh, they told me, 524 million adverti- bad advertisements and banned uh, a couple hundred thousand advertisers from search results last year. Uh, but as others have pointed out, uh, there are bolder things they could be doing. And so that becomes a, a question of, you know, whether business leadership should be the ones to decide whether there should be stronger regulation, sort of what the reasonable path forward really is. Ed Marzwinski, can you respond to Daniel's question about whether there's a relationship between payday loans and check-cashing establishments? Sure. I think that there are some states where check-cashing stores issue payday loans or offer payday loans, but there are many states that ban payday loans. Check-cashing is done on a fee basis. Payday lending, there is a fee plus an interest rate. A payday loan is just what it sounds like. Uh, it's like the old Popeye, I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today, as friend Wimpy used to say that, <laughs> if you're old enough to remember. Yes. Uh, but the uh, the payday loan is, uh, your check is no good today, you get paid on Friday, we'll, we'll take your check as collateral, and we'll give you the money, and then on Friday you'll give us the money plus the interest. So it's two different kinds of lending. Actually, check cashing is fee-based payday loans, interest-based, regulated differently in every state. And Adrian, you should know, we also reached out to Google along with an organization of online marketers. They declined to join us on today's segment, but Google, in fact, pointed us to the statement, Adrian, that they quoted to you. So we've come full circle here. We've (laughs) got to take a short break right now, but you can still call us, 800-433-8850. Have you ever followed an ad link and put in personal information and then regretted it. 800-433-8850. You can send email to kojo at wamu.org or shoot us a tweet at Kojo Show. I'm Kojo Namdi.
It's Tech Tuesday, and we're talking about lead generation, the online ads, the privacy, the predatory marketing with Alvaro Bedoya. He is the founding executive director of the Center on Privacy and Technology at Georgetown Law. Aaron Rieke is a projects director at Upturn, a technology policy consulting group based here in Washington. Adrian LaFrance is a staff writer at The Atlantic, where she covers technology. And Ed Merzwinski is the consumer program director at U.S. Perg, the consumer advocacy group. Ed the lack of transparency that you talked about has a few implications. One is the challenge of regulating all of this. It means that if a company is breaking the law, you may not even know it. Talk about the case of Sprint that I mentioned earlier. Well, the Sprint case is an interesting case, and uh, they were charging some customers more for telephone service than they were charging others. That the law says if you're going to charge people more based on their credit score, you've got to give them a notice. But what if Sprint didn't send you the notice? How did you know you were being charged more? That's the catch-22 that affected a number of consumers. Uh, Fortunately, the Federal Trade Commission caught the problem and imposed a $3 million penalty on Sprint last week. But I think that's one of the issues here. With no transparency in this marketplace, how do you know the business model of companies? It used to be a pretty simple uh, relationship that you had. You were a, a consumer. There were many banks you could get a loan from, and there were a couple of credit bureaus the banks would check to see if you deserved a loan. Now you've got all of these companies doing unregulated data brokering, unregulated scoring, and you don't actually have a business relationship with most of them. So it's it's much worse than it ever was. Speaking of the business model, we got an email from Nathan and Warner Robbins, Georgia, who writes, I'm a computer programmer who used to work for a payday lending software company. I remember the day when it dawned on me that our software was set up to keep people from paying off loans. So, Ed, given that, what about the regulatory side of this? Payday loans are restricted, as we've pointed out, illegal in many places. Some federal agencies and consumer protection groups like your own have tried to go after the worst offenders. So how is this being overseen or not? Well, I think that the states have done tremendous work. They have fought a a pretty good fight against the payday lenders. They've held them off in a number of states, but it's a game of whack-a-mole. Once we got the Internet, uh, if you couldn't set up a store in a state, you set up online and you invaded that state through the Internet. Uh, So our best hope, in the opinion of most consumer groups, is the new agency, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which has just started, it's actually not just started, but it's in a long process of writing a rule to regulate payday lenders. Uh, Unfortunately, that agency, uh, which has been doing tremendous work, is under attack on virtually a daily basis from the Congress, from Wall Street, and the payday lenders. Uh, but we're doing our best to protect it, as is Senator Elizabeth Warren, who whose baby it is the Consumer right. Financial Protection Bu- Bureau (CFPB). Yes, and and that that's the real problem with the state regulation. It's all whack-a-mole. If you do something, they change their spots. They well, Alvaro, now the Federal Trade Commission is a federal agency, so one could imagine that because of that, and because the internet doesn't have boundaries. The FTC can enforce state-level laws. Would I be correct in making that assumption? um, The FTC has a lot of authority. Uh, I am unclear as to whether the FTC can use an independent state law uh, uh, and go in and enforce that law as FTC, but it does have 
uh, along with CFPB, a lot of authority under uh, lending laws and under privacy laws that govern uh, credit. And so these two agencies could do a lot to not just cut down on the actual products of payday loans, but also potentially crack down on some of the misleading advertising and some of the targeting people precisely when they're vulnerable, precisely when they're in that place where they have to type into a search engine, I need money for groceries. Aaron. And the FTC has done an awful lot to help with fraud in this area. I mean, earlier this year, the FTC sued a, a couple That's of right. payday lead generators that had defrauded hundreds of thousands of people by withdrawing money from their bank accounts when they shouldn't have been. Um, so the FTC has done a great job of, of patching the problems that have already happened. Um, but as Alvaro said, it's, it's unclear whether or not they can help states enforce the laws they already have. Here is Mike in Arlington, Virginia. Mike, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hey, thanks, Kojo. This is a great program. Thanks to your guests. Um, my, my big point is it's, it's very much a wild, wild west mentality, and the whack-a-mole analogy is good, too. But as a consumer, you can certainly do all kinds of things and use tools online like, like the DuckDuckGo and, um, and Ghostery and ad blockers. Um, and those are fragmented tools, and, and they work here and there in specific capacities. And then you can also connect with U.S. PERG and, and Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and EFF and other institutions that protect consumers. But um, the businesses, if they want to capitalize on targeting a specific community, um, accessing uh, their data and data brokers who have maybe are less ethical about collecting data and how they use it, they can do that pretty willy-nilly. And... As a consumer, it's it's hard to keep up. It's a it's it's like a full time job trying to maintain privacy on the consumer level and the financial level uh, when you have all these people and other in- business institutions kind of attacking the data and trying to use it as they like. So, uh, so it's a bit of a big challenge. That's a really powerful point. From my vantage point, what we're seeing here in Washington D.C is a growing divide in our right to privacy. People think we're at this low point of privacy against the government, but in reality what you see is federal judges striking down NSA programs and Congress joining hands across the aisle to rein them in. Congress hasn't passed a consumer privacy law, a new one, since 2009. Stop and think about all the things that have happened to consumers' data since 2009. Zero new consumer privacy laws. Instead, what we're seeing are the states, state attorney generals and state legislators stepping up to the plate on consumer privacy. And so increasingly, people have to look to their state legislators and state office holders to protect their consumer privacy, not Congress. Now, obviously, FTC and CFPB do a lot on this stuff, but in terms of legislation, look to the states. Adrian LaFrance, this is handled differently in different countries. Are there places where this kind of online marketing is more transparent, better regulated, where we might be able to take a lesson from moving forward? Right. So, yes, it's really instructive to look to what some other countries are doing. Um, Particularly in Western Europe, there are stricter regulations. You know, the extent to which they actually work or are easy to navigate for consumers um, is a separate question. But in France, for example, individuals have to be able to give their consent before a data broker can distribute his or her data. Um, In the U.K., you may notice if you visit websites uh, that 
you have to be notified of, of being tracked by software by those websites. Um, and many other European countries require data brokers to give individuals a chance to be able to actually look at their data profile. And in some cases, even um, they're required to, to provide information on how a person might be able to change, remove, or otherwise object to the data that's been collected. So again, the mechanism for actually going through the, those sorts of standards are, aren't always totally clear, um, but it's certainly, uh, you know, miles ahead of what consumers have available to them in the United States. Here now is Alan in Northwest Washington. Alan, your turn. Uh, hi, Coach Air. Yes, I'm just wondering about DuckDuckGo and the other, uh, and the claims that they don't track you, but what's their business model? How, how do they make money? I never see ads on it. Uh, <laughs> I like the not being tracked, but I just don't understand how it works. Aaron. The answer to that question is I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> um, th th there may be some forms of, of advertising or other or other commercial involvement that DuckDuckGo has. I don't know for sure. Um, go take a look at their privacy policies. I know they're really proud of explaining their business model um, and see what you think. Hey, Alan, thank you very much for your call. We move on to Jim in Alexandria, Virginia. Jim, your turn. Thanks, Kojo. I, the thing that I see the most ads for on television are car title loans. And I'm wondering how they fit into this whole question of, of, of lending that charges too much in fees and, and too high interest rates. Thank you. Well, Michael Pope here, our Virginia reporter, did a whole series about that in Virginia. You can go to the WAMU website and find that at WAMU News. But here now is Ed Marzwinski. Uh, it's a very good question, and I'll add that car title loans are even more profitable in some ways than payday loans. Instead of holding your rubber check as collateral, they hold your car title and a copy of your car keys as collateral for your small loan. The uh, interesting thing, again, the caller's from Alexandria. The other caller was from Arlington. D.C. bans both of the payday lending and title pawn, but if you drive through Arlington or uh, Alexandria, you think the only business in those cities is car title pawn. They're not only selling in Virginia, they're s targeting D.C. And they have a very strong lobbying presence in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Here is Chris in Riva, Maryland. Chris, your turn. Thanks, Kojo. Um, I, last summer I was seeing all these ads for the structured loan, uh, structured uh, Structured settlement loans, well, actually, they weren't even loans. They were if you had a structural settlement because you had a disability and you were getting money every month, uh, they would give you pennies on the dollar for for that. And I have a, they were on TV last summer, and there was usually this young woman was screaming, we want our money now. And then people would pop out the, their heads out the window, we want our money now. Now, those things have seemed to have disappeared from TV, and I'm wondering – if they're also appearing on Google is that, or, or any of these search engines, where are they getting their customers now uh, that I'm not seeing them on TV? Ed Mazinski? It's a good question. I don't know the answer. I think the companies are still out there. Uh, they've always been around, and uh, Congress has started to take a look. I think the Washington Post did a nice story on some of these companies a few months ago, and I don't like them either, but uh, we'll take a look. Um, this was an email we got from Asaya in Bethesda, which is one of a few emails we got about concerns about another vulnerable group, children. 
um, a fair rights. I'm the mother of a middle school student, and they increasingly use Chromebooks. These tablets use the Google browser, and children's personal directory info is inputted into Google Docs and Google Class. With it, family information is also accessed. Can your guests comment on the use of student data? The recent changes to FERPA allowed schools and teachers to sign up students for apps, etc., which accesses their and our data. Aaron? I'm going to let Alvaro say something. He wants sure. To. So um, I think I think you have a panel of uh, probably financial privacy advocates, but but here's what's definitely going on, is that all this tracking is coming to the classroom. Thankfully, I think uh, you do have that student privacy might be one of the areas where there will be bipartisan support for an update. Orrin Hatch, I believe, and I think it was Ed Markey, I could be wrong, uh, introduced a bill to um, update the the uh, education privacy laws. And so hopefully we will be seeing some changes at the federal level. A lot of companies, if you're a parent, you may also want to look for companies that have taken what's called the student privacy pledge, which actually says, you know, we won't share this data with third parties. We won't do X, Y, and Z with it. So there is some good news on student privacy, but you as a parent should definitely still, you know, look over your kid's shoulder uh, and see what kind of services that schools are uh, on-roading them onto. The other interesting and um, interesting fact is that data brokers know that there's a lot of money to be made in the space as well. And so data brokers are tracking uh, expectant parents. They're tracking, you know, what which women are pregnant. They're creating lists of that. Uh, there was that infamous instance of Target figuring out whether someone was pregnant by the vitamins that uh, she was buying and the kind of you know, purses that she was buying. So, um, so yeah, this is a big space, and there's a lot of tracking in this space. we got to watch it. I'm afraid that's about all the time we have. Alvaro Bedoya is the founding executive director of the Center on Privacy and Technology at Georgetown Law. Alvaro, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you, Kojo. Ed Merzwinski is the consumer program director at U.S. Perg, the consumer advocacy group. Ed, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Kojo. Aaron Rieke is a projects director at Upturn, a technology policy consulting group based here in Washington. Aaron, thank you. Thank you. And Adrienne LaFrance is a staff writer at The Atlantic, where she covers technology. Adrian, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. I'm Kojo Nandi. Coming up tomorrow on the Kojo Nam, the show, What's a High School Diploma Worth? The debate over how well we're preparing kids for college. Then at one, African-American soldiers on D-Day, a new book on the segregated battalion that helped storm the beaches at Normandy. The Kojo Nam, the show, noon till two tomorrow on WAMU 88.5 and streaming at kojoshow.org. Thanks for listening to the Kojo Namdi Show. And if you're already a member of WAMU 88.5, thank you for your support. If not, it's easy to give online at WAMU.org. Just click the Donate button, and thanks.